The Incomparable Podcast, number 51, August 2011. We're back on The Incomparable, and it is time for the book club, or at least the literacy club, because we might even talk about some things that aren't books. I'm Jason Snell. I'm your host. I'm joined by the members of the literacy club. Uh, Dan Morin is here. Hi, Dan. Uh, I is glad to be here. I are glad. I are glad to be here, Jason. God. Glenn Fleischman also joins us. Hi, Glenn. Hi. I can recognize at least 20 letters. That's good. Well, you got to work. There are 10 more. Vowels are extra. Are you working on the vowels? I'm working on the vowels. All right. Good for you. He'd like to buy one. The sniper of internet podcast comedy. Sniper! He's in the bushes. Wait for it. Here he comes. It's Scott McNulty. Hi, Scott. Uh, hello. <laughs> hello. I have nothing to say to that. Was that the greatest introduction ever? It is. And then I, I failed. He's really funny. Wait, here it comes. Uh, that's Wait the joke. for it. Yes, I am. Here, so yes, so I in am. college, in college, people would introduce, I would meet new people. My friends would introduce me to someone and they'd say, here's Scott. He's very funny. And then they would look at me. And wait for me to say something funny. Where's your rubber chicken, man? Exactly. Where's your watermelon and your hammer? My friend Tony has a has a default response to that, which is to just go and make a funny face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's so funny. Yes. So anyway, we're not talking about that, or are we? Maybe. So so this is right. So the number one item on the agenda in this podcast is to talk about. Um, some novels that were nominated for the Hugo Award, which is given out every year to – generally it's sci-fi, although there's some fantasy stuff that creeps yeah. in there too and that they did this year. There are five nominees for the best novel, Hugo. Um, we have collectively read all of them. Some of us have read some of them. Some of us have not. I, I read all of them. I put in the work. Yeah, 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 yeah. But aren't you voting as well, Jason? I am voting. Well, there you I go. cast my ballot. So we're going to talk about these novels, and uh, we're going to take them in turn, and we may throw in some short stories and novellas that came up as a part of the Hugo process as well. And so five best novel nominees. Um, I, I guess I'll just take them in order, and we can talk about them. Those who have read them may speak about them. And the first one <laughs> up, <laughs> those who have not read them, silence. Not those who, shut up, silence. <laughs> Actually, I'd love to hear what you have to say, having not actually read that it. book was great. <laughs> that would be a new kind of podcast we could do, That's books right. we haven't read. My favorite opinions are uninformed opinions. The No Book Club, Blackout and All Clear, two novels by Connie Willis, uh, who is author uh, author of many good novels we've talked about before, and she's won the Hugo Award before. So two novels, it's really one story, which is why it was yeah, nominated yeah, together. I have a funny story about that, which is I read the first yes. book. And I got to the like I was getting close to the end. Was, it's a long book. It's a big. It's a big book. And I'm getting close to. The end. I'm like, man, they are gonna have to work fast to wrap this up. I did not know until I got to the very last page that there was a second part coming. So, quite literally, they just took a novel and cut it. In yes, half and basically. published it in two books. It's yeah. It's that feeling you get when you're 48 minutes into an hour long TV show and you realize, oh no. This is not going to end. This is going to be to be continued. Yeah, they can't wrap this up. Yeah. So so it's set in World War II. It's about time travelers who go back to study. It's set in the same universe as To Say Nothing of the Dog. And Doomsday Book. And the Doomsday Book. Say Nothing of the Dog. Very funny. Good book. Doomsday Book. Other end of the spectrum. <laughs> very depressing. Also very good. About the Black Death. This, this was somewhere in the middle for me, really. Like, it's not... It's got some very serious points, right? And there, there's some very serious discussion of you know, wartime and, you know, the prices people pay. Um, but it's not, it wasn't as wholly depressing as Doomsday Book was. 
No, there's some there's some amusing parts, and the, there's the whole kind of carry on spirit that's going on during the Blitz, and it really is in many ways a you know largely a historical historical fiction, fiction about the Blitz, right? Yeah. I mean, that's you've got these these people from the future who are stuck there, but they're they're so mired in real time that they just have to live through the Blitz, and so you got. You know, all these sort of slices of life of people going around in London and out in the countryside and and were working for the army during the Blitz. And as such, it is it's interesting because it does start to you start to get this impression of the interminable nature of it. Right. You know, there's so many the way that the story is arranged narratively, you feel like you're undergoing something, you know, something traumatic and catastrophic because it keeps dragging on. And we have this sort of plot line where these characters who are stuck in the past keep thinking, oh, well, we'll be rescued soon. And then it keeps going. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> One of the funny things that happened is there's sort of these alternating timelines, and and it, it it's kind of hard to perceive of what's what's exactly going on. It's like they're telling sort of stories from, from earlier in the war and later in the war. And it turns out, you know, not to give too much away i you know we maybe we can avoid the spoiler horn here but it turns out that um some of the characters you see are actually you see in the toward the end of the war are actually characters you've seen earlier in the war going under assumed names so yeah that was kind of a that that did definitely confuse me when it when it finally got revealed like because you start you, you know very much that you're in the heads of these these three characters or so who are really like you know, you realize, okay, they're from the future, they're going back in time, they're historians, they're there to do this research. And then there are a couple other chapters thrown in where you're like, but who is who is this person? Like, you're all of a sudden... You're not in their heads, right? right? You're just observing them as they do strange, funny things. They also seem to know things, right, occasionally. Or, the, you know, there's definitely an air in a couple of the places of, like, something's not quite right with this person. Right. Or they're hiding, they're hiding something. You get the sense of foreboding that that something's really wrong, and at the end of the first book, you definitely get the feeling like you know something's gone wrong, and they're having trouble getting back to the to the future. Um, and you know, and that's and that's fine. And and there in the second book, I thought that toward the end, the you know she she is not afraid to put characters in peril and kill people off and have the ramifications of of that. I I, I thought this book ended really well. I was almost ready to give up. Yes. It, it, late in the first book and early in the second book, and I, I feel, you know, we Glenn always talks about how we could do a podcast about series that disappoint us after the first book. This was a book that could be the start of a whole new podcast, which is books that needed an editor. Yes, books that oh. needed a freaking editor. Oh God, there's so many Good like that because this is two huge books. It did not need to be two books. It was not two books worth. Yeah, it, absolutely it was not. one book really that that could have been. It should have been trimmed down considerably. And I, I understand. Like I'm saying, you know, I think there was a idea of like getting across to you just how scary and terrifying it was to be stuck with no way out. But there were so many. There's so many arranged. Uh, like yeah, there's so many arranged like close misses. Right, yeah. or cases where they're like, "Oh, now these two characters are going to meet up, and they're in the same like, town." Yeah, and then they just miss each other, and you're like. Yeah. What? <laughs> and then you have to go like another hundred pages before they actually find each other. You know, some some of those crosses are are funny, and some of them are are infuriating. Like it's just you know just trying to stretch things out. The thing that got me though, the, the thing that really drove me to almost stop reading was, um, you know, these people are from the future, and so they're concerned that even though everything we've learned in all these books about how going back in time is that the universe doesn't allow you to change 
change the time stream. That if if you were going to mm-hmm. do something to change time, you just won't be able to go there to do it. So so when you're a time traveler, you want to be careful, but you can't really change the future. And yet, one of these characters in this book yeah. spends chapter after chapter after chapter. You spend in her head where all she's thinking is. Oh, I need to reach this person. I need to tell him this, but I can't tell him this because what if he knows this? And I can't tell him this because he what? And I'm I'm serious. Hundreds of pages about of worrying about plot ramifications about time travel that are almost certainly not true. And I just it was it was it, ridiculous. It hit, it hit the same notes was the problem, right? It hit the same notes after time after time. Endlessly. Yeah, yeah. It really did feel like it dragged on. And I agree. Like, there's a great. Should I tell Mike? Should I not tell Mike? Oh, I can't tell him. Yeah. I better not say anything. Does he know? Does he, does he know? No, he doesn't know, but I can't tell him. Ah! Yeah. It got, it got a little bit, it got a little bit frustrating. And, and that's one of those things where it's like, you could have been, there's a good story in here. There really is. It just needed to be shown. Yeah. The, the, the non sci fi elements are fine. Oh, they're fascinating. I mean, and, and as a historical fiction, right? It's it's fascinating. Yeah. Like, there's to really get that inside view of yeah. it. And, and the drama at the end, where there are real stakes and kind of really real sacrifices made toward the end, so that they can get home and and or or have their story resolved in some way. You know, re- and and then there's some more kind of shifts into into not not their home future but you see things sort of in the kind of our present day where right. they do some other characters travel in there to try and do some research about what happened to them because they're trying to find them you know that stuff was great too it's just that that there's that chunk in the middle where it's just let's dwell on the worry of time travelers and their ennui existentially <laughs> that yeah. was just awful yeah and i and i think to a certain degree a lot of this was accomplished better in her previous books too right i agree i mean she covered a lot of this ground and and to say nothing of the dog and doomsday book are both excellent excellent books much better than this one although this has got you know it it's is still a little good. like a mashup yeah, it's still... with it's like those two books mashed up yeah. and then lots of historical stuff about the blitz which is really good yeah so but yeah perplexing that it ended up in two books and that there was nobody to say you know, this should just be shorter. It's hard. I mean, I, I, I imagine that after you, you know, she's fairly accomplished as a writer. She's written a lot of great books. And I think at a certain point, maybe if you don't have the, the editor who's willing to stand up to you, um, you know, or a lot of people just assume, oh, you know, she knows what she's doing. But even, you know, even good writers need editors from time to time. All right. So so that's Blackout and All Clear. Um, redeeming redeeming qualities, but as kind of a long way to go would that be kind of your summary i, of I, w- I would agree i would agree I, I and i'm glad that i'm not the only person who felt that way because i was like maybe i'm just not getting it like maybe i'm just not as involved in this as i should be oh. but i i there was a lot there were a couple points that really shined through but if it did feel like that repeated hammering of yeah. this point yes we get it you're worried about this okay yeah. move <laughs> the on last third the last third of, of all clear is just amazing it really is when when it comes time to actually resolve the story oh yeah it, it becomes quite a page turner at that point right like yeah but it's just you have to get through whatever there's, 800 there's pages of eileen worrying about no. whether she should tell mike about that she saw a guy down by the side of the road we're just like wow no too much too much too much all right so we'll move on our next novel is cryoburn which <clears throat> is a miles for Kosigan book <clears throat> by lois mcmaster Bujold. So Dan and Scott and I have read Cryoburn. This is the, you know, obviously the latest of the 80,000 book long <laughs> Miles Forkosikan saga. Yep. Um, which we all, I think, on Dan's excellent recommendation, we all read these books and enjoyed them and did a whole podcast about That's that. That's right. 
So Dan, as the as the one who's been reading these books the longest, why don't you give us your take first on on Cryoburn? I I really liked Cryoburn. I I don't you know it's not my favorite in the series, but coming on the heels of I think it was in like 2003 that the last one, Diplomatic Immunity, came out, and that book I thought was an absolute. I just I did not like it. It was one. It's probably my least favorite of of the actual books that involve Miles. Um, and this one I thought was was <laughs> an, an improvement. Um. There was a really interesting setting, which is it takes place on this world where um, being frozen in like, uh, you know, cryogenic storage is like this really, you know, it's part of society essentially. And and all these people get essentially are, you know, you're frozen in storage and the company or whatever that you've, you know, that is storing you gets your votes or whatever. You know, it's it's it's, it's right. So you end up with these corporate kind of conglomerates right. that use frozen people as political chips yeah and and so there and into this comes this interest this intrigue that of course mile gets drawn into i mean and we kind of start um it it starts off with this kind of strange like he gets kidnapped right and it starts off with him sort of breaking out of these uh out of this kidnap and he befriends this young child sort of street urchin kid um and we get we get a whole bunch of chapters from this kid's point of view which was kind of interesting i thought in terms of having like Miles is a, is in some ways an interesting character to see through someone else's lens, especially when it's a kid um, who has this like, well, this, there's this guy wandering around who's kind of my size, but he's definitely not a child and he seems very strange. <laughs> um, and I, I kind of enjoyed that. I enjoyed some of the characters. I think some one of the things I liked is that a lot of the secondary characters who could have easily become cookie cutter characters, they actually fleshed out a bit. There's the... Um, What's his Vor Lincoln, who's sort of this the the political guy on the console on the planet or whatever, um, and he he could have very easily been set up as just a straight foil like the guy you know you're a loose cannon you know, but he he actually becomes a very sympathetic character, um, and you know takes on an interesting sort of a role in response to Miles. Um, there you know the uh, Roic, who's kind of his bodyguard, uh, I think gets fleshed out a lot more, and I I quite enjoy his his uh, his chapters that are narrated from his point of view because he's obviously got a very different perspective on this whole affair um and so you know in general i would say it was you know like a solid a solid b plus the ending in particular though like you know bumps it up for me a little bit like that because you kind of know it's coming but at the same time if you've been reading this series as long as i have you know it was still heart-wrenching it was a heart-wrenching end so basically you've got you know it's kind of a fun adventure and there is some really clever stuff but um you know when the plot is resolved then there's sort of like the payoff for the people who've been reading all the books where there's you know sort of secondary thing which is major life events for miles and his family uh that only really make sense if you've read all the other books yeah thinking about it gives me goosebumps just in terms of like that's the that's the story that i you know in some ways that's the story i really want to read is the thing that comes after this right and right, there is right. that nice little epilogue where they sort of delve into uh, how several of the characters, the majorish characters, deal with this change. Um, yeah. But it really just that last line in the book, because you kind of even if you kind of see it coming, like once it hits you, I just found it. it I found it very heart wrenching. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the actual adventure, you know, it's, it's fun, fun. It's fun. And yeah. there's a, it's like a, there's a caper and they, they have to go switch bodies out and and solve a mystery of like, <laughs> why is this person? I mean, there are lots of – it is funny that this is a uh, – uh, there's a like a major coincidence that has to happen where Miles happens to escape from being – they're trying to kill him or whatever. And this kid happens to find him and it turns out that 
his mom happens to be deeply involved in the conspiracy that interests Miles and that keeps him around. Uh, you know, you it it's kind of a lot to get there. Sure, but like once they yeah. set it, once you sort of get past that premise, like that that's you know the setup. I think it does kind of. You know, it rolls downhill a little better, but... And I like Miles being put in with these people who are, like, really poor, and they're, like, squatters in this old factory, because he's so... He moves in in um, big circles, right? He moves in, in, in nobility, right? He's a he's a one of the privileged class of the galaxy, and so to have him be basically like he's got nothing, and he's with these squatters, and then when he finally gets to call on some of his resources, these the squatters are like, oh, wow, you know, they really appreciate it because he has power, and these people are completely powerless, and he's like using his power to... He gets to bring the hammer down a little bit. Yeah, and it's like a righteous thing because he, you know, these people have been oppressed and exploited for so long, and then you know he's making trouble on their behalf. He's being Miles on their behalf to, for their benefit. That was a fun yeah. take on yeah. on Miles. Scott, what did you think? Uh, well, I thought it was a fun read, but I don't think that it would have been nominated for a Hugo had uh, the other novels existed, if that makes sense. I mean, if they didn't exist, obviously, she wouldn't have written this book. But taken by itself, I do not think it's a Hugo-caliber novel. In Given the context of the series, you know, your, your opinion can change. But I think... Uh, if I were voting for the Hugos, I would have to look at each novel on its own. And this novel, yes. I don't think, meets the caliber that I expect from yeah. a Hugo-nominated novel. I would agree with that. I mean, I think there are, there are definitely books in the series that I think, you know, have deserved that more, that honor more. And it's not necessarily the strongest standalone book. But, you know, I, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's yeah, fun. I agree. I agree with both of you. I think I think it's a fun fun read. Surprised that it got nominated. Well, I guess not too surprised because many Miles books have been nominated and a few of them have won. But you know, yeah, it absolutely is not of of a caliber to really be considered like best novel of the year. Just because you know a new no Miles novel is fun, and I look forward to the next one. But you know, it was just you know a fun adventure, a romp, and you know had some interesting ideas, but. Yeah, that was that was about as far as it went. Yeah, and, yeah. and I, I thought a lot of it was predictable, which is oh sure. I mean, sure, it, but it, uh, you know, in the same time, I think it tickles that that part of you that likes that. You know, there, there's a part of me that reads the book and's like, oh man, I see what's coming, and you know, <laughs> I re I still really enjoy the payoff, even if I see right. what's coming. Well, you, know, you read the book, you, you're looking for that kind of thing in the the Miles saga, right? Because he's sure. a character you're comfortable with, you know kind of how he relates with the world and it's interesting to see him kind of screw up everybody else's plans and just kind of you know cause trouble yeah agreed all right so we're going to move on to a book that glenn has read part of oh. <laughs> the dervish house by e ian mcdonald i'd be happy to talk about the part i read <laughs> but you didn't you didn't actually stop reading this book in a huff it, it you just discussed. ran out of time I ran out of time it's um yeah it's very i mean i look forward to actually finishing it. it it's interesting i think i tried to start it several times and it's a little i don't know it's a little uh flowery and difficult at first like i can't quite figure it's like listening to music uh using a different chromatic scale than you're used to you're you know you're used to western tonalities and you listen to something you're like i can't quite figure out if this is good or noise and um took me a number of pages to get into it, and then I was starting to fly along and ran out of time. All right. Well, Scott and I read the whole thing. <gasps> I, it's amazing. I um, I, you know, I thought it was uh, 
I thought it was really good, although it's definitely not, like, super easy light. I mean, like, I blew through Cryoburn. Dervish House took more work, but I really liked it. Scott, what did you think? Oh, man, I am a huge fan of Dervish House and uh, Ian McDonald in general. He is someone who I hadn't read until recently, uh, and for some reason I got it in my head that a previous one of his books uh, was a kind of a, a prequel to Dervish House, so I said, oh, I have to read The River of Gods before I read Dervish House because it's one story. And they are completely unrelated and set in <laughs> completely different universes, um, both universes being our universe. But uh, So you don't have to read both of them to enjoy uh, right. the story at all. I don't know what I was thinking. But what I love about uh, him – well, A, I think he's a great writer. And he sets his stuff – like, Glenn, you were talking about you know, a different chromatic scale. He sets – his settings are non-Western, mm. which makes it very interesting to me because it's – an alien culture, and yet it's you know still humans. So in the Dervish House's case, we get it's set in in Turkey. Yep. In the near future, in like what 2040, 2030? something like that. Twenty twenty five. I mean, it's the it's it's near ish future Turkey. Yeah, and it's great because I have no idea. I don't know the culture well enough to know what is actually current behavior. I mean, I know the technology. Of course, but I don't know what's current behavior and what's supposed, and it feels it feels very genuine. So even if it's wrong, it feels right. But um, but it may, it adds that displacement and a travel log kind of feel too. It was like this is cool. I'm learning things that may or may not be true, but I'm I feel like I'm learning things about Turkey and about the sort of you know attitude of the Turks toward Europe and do they face toward Europe or do they face away from Europe mm-hmm. and uh, that's all going on in there which I, which is really interesting and then there's the whole sci-fi element on top of it yeah and the 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 story of the the mellified man i don't know if that's which is which is like again i don't know if it's true or not but it's the the uh, somebody uh he eats honey until he dies and then they put him in a, a stone casket full of honey and they store it away in the ground and he turns it's like his body turns into honey and then it's supposed to like have magical healing properties. I, or something. I love that word. I was just like mellified. You read that and you're just like, Ooh, I want to know what that is. So I talked to somebody who was frustrated by this book, and um, because they're stupid, <laughs> drunk, ah, uh, drunk. <laughs> yeah. So near future Turkey, nano. There's like nanotechnology. Um, nanotechnology uh, startups are happening mm-hmm. um, and and then there's like business guys with investments and there's like gas investors and all this stuff and they, and there are these multiple stories and they eventually converge but it takes a long time for them to converge and it all is keyed off of this oh and there's the kid who's got his robot his nano robot and the old man who used to be like an academic and is connected to the government who kind of befriends the kid and the kid can't hear not because he can't hear but because loud noises will cause his heart to stop just i mean cra- crazy amounts of interesting detail oh and the man who the man who sees jins oh yeah uh, and yes. so 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 it all starts with a terrorist bombing in a tram where nobody dies, nobody dies. except the bomber yeah. Which seems strange, and to me, it was very clear that that was important, <laughs> and that everything was going to come from that. And yet, I talked to somebody who was frustrated by that. Yeah, I mean, the amazing thing to have a suicide bomber who is literally a suicide bomber, not a homicide bomber. That is an extraordinary thing in itself. Right, but there's something that that happens because of that that mm-hmm. leads all these other events to happen, including the guy who's like a petty criminal, basically, in a ne'er do well, who suddenly starts hallucinating that he's seeing. You know, sort of religious figures all around him. Um, 
you know, and and the fact that the the guy who sees the religious figures and the kid who saw the bombing from his ro- via his robot and then is followed by another robot that tries to destroy his robot, <laughs> and then they're the gas investors or and they're trying to sell irradiated gas. Yeah, right. Because Iran had had their nuclear complex bombed by the Americans like ten years before, and they've got all this gas, but it passes through the radiation zone and. Just all of this stuff that's so densely packed in there, and you know it's going to converge. And these characters, um, the characters are interesting. Although I did, uh, two of the characters, uh, women characters, have very similar names, and I got really confused about which one was which. But you know, I figured it out eventually because one of them had a one of them had a husband, and the other one uh, didn't have a <laughs> husband or a career, and was you know needed her family's help to get a job. Right. But um, and and was walking past the the tram when it got bombed That's, trying to get to a job yes, interview right yes. so and then it's all connected i can see how it's difficult the names are kind of difficult to keep st- at least they were for me to keep straight all the names because they're so they're not western they're names so names, exactly right. so i have no real context for them but i th- i just really love the way he writes and this like in the river of uh, gods he also which is i think twice the size of the dervish house and probably has wow. four times as many plot elements that all seem unrelated <laughs> until the very end. Uh, he just knows how to weave this very intricate story that you don't really know what, why you're reading five different stories that seem not related whatsoever until the last maybe 10% of the book. And you're like, oh, it all makes sense now. Well, and the fact that the the plot comes together like that, which is really interesting, but also that he, you know, and his writing is is really really good. Um, some really beautiful descriptions, just uh, just descriptions of of Turkey, of of mm-hmm. of Istanbul and the river and the bridge over the river and all of that, and some, you know, and then you've got some interesting characters, and then if you step back, the themes that he's talking about, you know, he's talking about identity. On a lot of different levels, right? There's Turkish identity and, and, and how, you know, on one side of the river you're in Europe and on the other side you're in Asia. But also there's this whole identity issue with the nanotechnology and what the nanotechnology has to, to do with like modifying the identities of people. And there's a character who has to debate like erasing the memory mm-hmm. of a friend of his with this nanotechnology. Just, you know, it's such it's something that only science fiction can do and it's actually one of the reasons why really good science fiction is so great and why i love reading it is that you know to to use all of these tools to talk about culture and identity and technology and how they all interact and 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 then speculate a little bit about a future where the hot the hot tech startups are outside of istanbul turkey instead of in silicon valley is um you know it's really there's just so much to it and it's it's there's it was a real joy to read it. And I want some of those nanobot toys that that kid has. Yeah, the he's got the it turns into a monkey and a rat and a snake and I mean there's action too. I shouldn't say that this is like an, a a complex meditation on identity because while <laughs> it is that there's also like some great action stuff where the, the you know the monkey robot has to like free a guy and they're yeah. doing like hand signals because there's a guy who's being held mm-hmm. by these terrorists and yeah, it, uh, yeah. It, it works on many levels, and they, there's the the mellified man, which is such a great thing. Really, is 
not very important whatsoever to the <laughs> overall plot no, of the story. But, but it, it's got some great Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of stuff exactly. that happens though, when they're tracking it down. And, you know, you get that whole concept of uh, the architect who laid out Istanbul and who wanted to spell the name of God, uh, who did apparently, well, in this book, he spelled out the name of God. And that was how they kind of had to figure out where the mellified man was and the fanatic who... Once he saw the name, he carries uh, acid on him acid. so he can burn his, his eyes out. So the last thing he sees is the last word of the name of God, and then he'll burn his eyes out. Exactly. So much to like. And it's not a very long book either, so uh, he packs it all in. It's really good. Very good book. One of the better books that I've read in, uh, in, in, uh, in quite a while. Yes. And, and if it does not win the Hugo, something is terribly wrong. Yeah, I agree. So highly recommended from all of us. Yes, check it out. And if if you if you like it, you should start read the Dervish House first because it is short. And if you like it, pick up the River of Gods, which is also fantastic, but much longer and much more dense. All right, um, we will we will move on to our next Hugo nominee selection. We're just blowing through the books bam, left and bam, right. knocking them down. If you don't if you don't read them, it goes much faster. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Feed by Mira Grant. Who read Feed? I did. Me, Scott. And neither of us liked it. Okay, so uh, let me talk about Feed for a minute. <laughs> I'm winding up. Can you can you hear it? And the pitch. It's it's crap. <laughs> <laughs> I I have so many problems with this book. I will let you go yeah. first, though. Okay. Um, let's see if I I can hit the problems that you've got, or if you've got your own. So Feed by Mira Grant, who is actually Mira Grant, is actually a pseudonym for a writer of other novels um called uh, i guess her name is shannon mcguire and she wrote, wrote this under a pen name she's a she's a sci-fi writer of some sort right. Does she, um, is it young adult stuff is that yeah and i think she's i think she's generally liked and she wrote this under this other name and it got nominated and it uh, awful uh, it baffles me anyway so f- uh, before i go about bafflement let's just talk about the book feed is is a novel about bloggers yes who are essentially news reporters of the future and this is set in the near future as well where technology is a little more advanced also there's been a zombie apocalypse not making this up zombie apocalypse there's a uh, you know a, a virus or it's actually a a virus and a cure for the common cold that meet and create mm-hmm. zombies yes and everybody who dies becomes a zombie <sighs> The worst um, kind of and day. if you get bitten if by a zombie, you die, That's and right. then you are a zombie. And and interesting, I think that her world building was interesting. So you can also, since the the whatever the the zombie particle or whatever you want to call it has been around, it has zombie virus. Yeah, the, the virus. That's probably better. It, it's so it's in everyone, and it can just spontaneously activate. So you don't have to be bitten by a zombie. You could just spontaneously turn into a zombie and animals also turn into zombies over 40 pounds or something so right. that there's like there's a law that you can't have a pet that's over 40 pounds because it could yeah. spontaneously turn into like a, a zombie marmaduke think, but think how bad zombie like mosquitoes would be zombie wombats right. that's why you can't do that yeah so but zombie horses yes so here's the thing though she you're right scott the the world building the world she builds is interesting. Mm-hmm. Her world building skills are poor because the way the world gets built in the story is that 
somebody will like say something to another character and then there'll be four pages of explanation <laughs> of what this means and how this happened in history yeah. and how it all came to be at which point you will then immediately go to the response of the character in the conversation. You're like, what? Oh, right. Yeah. I was in the middle of a conversation before there were five pages of exposition. It's kind of like her editor said, show your work. Yeah. Yeah. And so rather than dropping kind of these these hints and clues about how it was going to work throughout, she just sort of lays it all out there. The dialogue is is poor. The characters... You know, Bad. a couple of the characters are interesting, but mostly the characters are cardboard cutouts. I think she's got some kind of interesting things to say about the media and blogging as as people who work in primarily electronic media. Um, she's trying to – some of what she says is kind of interesting uh, and what she envisions as, as mass media, but most of it is so simplified yeah. and sort of silly. And it seems – it feels to me like this was a book written – by someone who discovered blogging in like 1996 and are, is setting out a world where like can you believe that bloggers are actually credible now it's crazy right. and i'm like yeah i can't believe it because i'm living in that world right now it, that happened <laughs> so the characters are 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 not great the the dialogue is bad there's huge amounts of exposition um so my other problems with it uh, there's a political story. The story is the bloggers get to uh, cover a pol uh, presidential campaign. Tag along on the with with one of the uh, candidates with, with an improbably nice uh, candidate. He is he is. They, yeah. they don't believe how nice how, how nice and good he is. So you know that in the end, how could he be nice and good? Because he's so perfect. Well, the answer is he's so perfect because he's a really bad character and he just is perfect. He is perfect. And, but he doesn't have to have any imperfections because his running mate becomes the stock evil general. So yeah, so, so I, I, I'd fire off the spoiler horn, but honestly – the law of the economy of characters is in full force in this book, which is there's only one person who could be the bad guy, and it's the guy who is completely evil from the beginning no, through the no end. No redeeming values. And let me alert yeah, – spoiler alert. He is the bad guy oh. because, of course, he's the bad guy. He's the only bad guy in the book. Yeah. And he's a, and he's a mustache-twirling – He's he's snidely whiplash. <laughs> fundamentalist Republican presidential candidate who becomes the vice presidential candidate and is plotting the death of his running mate. So -ha, he can become the president of the yeah. United States. Awful. So, so I'm, um, so I, okay, Scott, you go. I, I'm trying to think what else I had a long list. Let me know what else. Okay. So I have a couple of other things. Uh, she, so it annoys me in general. I, uh, read books, you know, I start at the beginning and read through it, and I notice some authors. That's traditional, uh, you know. That's just how I do it. Call me crazy. Go from uh, one to. And yeah. as I do it, I remember. Even though I have this weird book amnesia, as I'm reading a book, I generally remember what I'm reading, and so I notice <laughs> if an author is using the same phrase over and over and over again. And apparently, this author really likes the phrase "poke it with a stick." Because like every other page, poke it with a stick, and I'm like, poke it with a stick. I don't understand why you keep coming back to poke it with a stick. It has nothing to do. I understand, you know, there are literary techniques where you repetition <laughs> it, it builds it up, but poke it with a stick. Sure, the wine dark mind. It, it's of it's got nothing. Poke it with a stick. And then I, I, I work in IT, uh, you know, yep. specifically in security, right? So there's a there's a character in oh. in this book who is uh, given, you know, these mythical IT abilities, right? And she's built this system 
that no one can hack and it's impenetrable. Uh, and she, you know, she dies. Spoiler alert. Uh, after the fact. But leaving leaving no leaving no password behind. I presume. No, she left a password behind, what? and so the character is and like a message from the grave. Exactly, and the character is like, "Oh well, let me just log into this system that no one could possibly hack with a five character password that is a common noun." Uh. <laughs> I'm like, "What the hell is going on in this world? How, how did she know what my password was?" <laughs> it was it was infuriating to me uh, because it was just so ridiculous. Um, uh, and 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 so the two main characters are brother and sister, and they have the right. creepiest relationship ever. For, I kept waiting for them to have sex. Uh, so did I. It was so weird, uh, super creepy. It was like Angelina Jolie and her brother, kind of. Yeah, yeah. It was it was <laughs> creepy. <laughs> it was it was not. It was distracting, honestly, from the rest of the story, and it didn't have to be. Uh, no, but it was because it was just so weird. I didn't understand it, was, it. Me too, Scott. That it was really weird. I did. So I'm gonna fire off the spoiler horn here. Uh, the spoiler is it's not gonna win a Hugo. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I want to talk about the one thing that I appreciated about this book, which is why I have to fire off the spoiler horn. What I appreciate about this book is that 80% of the way through it, the protagonist is killed. Mm-hmm. And her brother takes over as the viewpoint character for the rest of the book. She she gets hit by a dart full of zombie venom or whatever it is. Yeah. And and there's a very interesting scene where she is doing her last message as the as as her brain slowly starts to shut down and become zombified, and then he blows her brains out. And then the rest of the story and the rest of the plot resolves itself with the brother who's, you know, obviously very upset. I like the fact that she had the guts to go through almost the whole book, but not till the end, kill off the main character and have the resolution have to come from her brother, who is very upset that that the protagonist in the book that he was in has died. So he has to become the protagonist because he didn't sign up for this crap. Mm -hmm. He just wants to poke things with sticks. Yeah, exactly. So that I liked. That's the one. If you got to say something positive about it, I like that that was a that was kind of a narrative, interesting narrative decision. And, you know, so there. But otherwise, this was really not very good. No, it was. It wow. was I mean, it was that's bad. A ringing unendorsement. I, I cannot believe. I, I actually, I look at this and think, how did this get nominated for a Hugo Award? Was there was there a campaign? Was there astroturfing? No, no, no. They had the computer. The computer genius hacked the voting system uh, using right, a five character password and unpenetrable, unbreakable method. It's method. so secure. The Hugo voting system could never be hacked. <laughs> never. I, I, I don't. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I just. I don't. Know. I don't understand a world where this book and the Dervish House and even you know, a uh, hundred thousand kingdoms and and uh, Cryoburn can be considered in the same group. Uh, it's just the gap is so wide. I don't understand it. Zombie demographic. They vote. I guess. Zombie. Yeah, I, I actually, you know, um, Scott, I believe the Dream of Perpetual Motion would have been eligible this year, right? The Dream of Perpetual Motion is about fourteen thousand times better than Feed. Yeah, yeah. This, this is, is this is the thing that gets me is is I, I actually nominated the Dream of Perpetual Motion for all of its you know interesting challenges. It is roughly an infinite amount <laughs> times better than this. Yeah, I think so. I haven't even read Feed, but uh, you know, Dream of Professional Motion. I don't remember even when we read it. It was months ago. I still that book still occupies my mind in part at times. Very. Yeah. So, so Dan and Glenn, what 
What can I tell you? You got to read. Fiend. Yeah, I'm gonna pick it up. I'm gonna go. Oh. I'm gonna go right out. I, I'm so glad that I didn't just like go on mute for this and then come back. And you guys like, yeah, I totally read feed. Sucker. And the best part is, it's the first book in a trilogy. So, <laughs> oh, of course. That's... <laughs> so I'm going to the. Um, I should say I'm going to the Reno con the renovation which is the world con this year in in reno nevada lovely summer Ooh. in reno nothing better of course all the hugo nominees are going to be there and i'm actually hoping to go to the hugo ceremony awkward and punch out the author of feed right <laughs> and the, here's the thing yeah. is i'm gonna see her there gonna and i'm gonna her. be like i gotta walk away jason if you have nothing nice to say because i haven't read any of your other books but the one book i read then punch them in the face yeah no. you could say i really like how you killed your protagonist <laughs> Yeah, that's right. That's right. I thought it was very brave of you to kill your protagonist uh, most of the way through your novel. And what did you think about the rest of my book? Did you like oh, it? I wish you I wish you had killed that. You're an embarrassment to the Hugos. Get out of this ballroom. I, I'm glad you didn't make the brother and sister have sex. Thank you. Yeah. Woo. It always it always it always pains me to criticize someone's book so harshly because they spent so much time writing it and you can tell she was really invested in it, but it's not very good. I'm sorry. No, it's not. Hey, not, that's Hugo not, nominated. She'll sell enough it's copies. Not, it's not only not in the class to be a Hugo nominee. It's not in the class to be considered a good book. No. It's just a bad and, book. And frankly, it cheapens the Hugo Awards for having it nominated. It really does. I don't under- it's embarrassing. It is. 100,000. 100,000 kingdoms. Yay. How many kingdoms? One. There are 100,000. It's a big planet, I think. That's a lot of kingdoms. It is. All right. Did everybody read... N.K. Jameson's 100,000 Kingdoms? I read this book, and I've read the sequel, by the way. I read half of it? This book is 100,000 times better than Feed. So Feed's like feeds like one kingdom? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. You, feed, feed is half a kingdom. Half a kingdom. Negative, negative zombies. three kingdoms. The zombie-infested, <laughs> blogger-infested kingdom. That's right. That is very secure. I think Glenn wants to speak. <laughs> Password. Go ahead, Glenn. <laughs> I have the floor. Um, I thought 100,000 Kingdom. Now, I know, uh, see, I read it without thinking about the fantasy, about the Hugo issue and the fantasy sci-fi thing. And it's, it is fantasy with a 0.001% science fiction thrown in to make it feel a little bit more sci-fi. I mean, there is a little bit of sci-fi overtone, like sort of like, you know, a little taste of it in there, but it's really fantasy. But I thought it was quite a beautiful novel. I, I think it's an incredibly good read. You, I was drawn into it right away. It's very complicated. She has a fully populated world, starting from scratch. She has this world so, of richness of gods and men. So do you empires. want to explain a little bit about what the book is about? Sure. Well, so the idea is that they live in a Zombie. universe. That this it's a, The book is about essentially a... a other bloggers, a yeah. Hell, yeah, other bloggers. Hell is <laughs> other zombies. No, hell is other bloggers. There are zombie bloggers. The book is about a woman, uh, a, a girl who lives in a distant kingdom from sort of the center of the world. There's practically a legitimate center of the world in which all the power resides, and um, she's called by her grandfather. She's a sort of a half caste. She's called, but, but it, prominent in her own kingdom in the north. She's called to the central kingdom, and uh, her grandfather. Is, a, is naming her as one of his heirs. He has three potential heirs, and there'll be some kind of, you know, you know there's some machinations there. But she finds out very quickly, spoiler horn, that really she's there to die because someone has to die in order for the ascension, uh, ascension to happen for the next 
uh, ruler of the kingdom. But here's the thing. You know, a lot of kingdoms, a lot of novels talk about the gods and how important they are and whatever, and sometimes they're made manifest. In this, the gods are, you know, real and palpable. And They're in the castle. In the they're, castle. They're beca- trapped. Right, because there's there was an epic battle between – there are three creator gods of sorts at different ages in this universe. There are three legitimate creator gods, and one of them – two of them were lovers. A third came along. Uh, two sort of male entities were lovers and friends and foes. And a third came along, and she provided a balance. And then sort of poison entered one of their hearts, and the one who's the white, who's the light, he manages to kill the sort of – woman who symbolizes, or the goddess who symbolizes all of growth and creation, and then enslave the one who is the symbol of darkness. And um, so the darkness and all of his children and all of those related are all now subject. Um, they're under the thumb of this ruling family. Essentially, you can order them around and make them do their will. And it's they're all humiliated and have been for some, I think it's thousands of years at that point, right? It's a couple thousand years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a beautiful thing. It's like the gods are made manifest, and yet they're in chain. They're suffering, but they're needing you know, if, if released, they would destroy everything. And and this woman comes into this environment. She's the outsider who lets us have the perspective. We get, you know, exposition. Thank you for the exposition because she's coming in without any knowledge beyond sort of distant stories about what the situation is. And it's very complicated. It's very well realized. And I think it's um, it's so subtle. So many things happen in the novel that I mean, some of the plot points are very broad, I would argue, but some of the actual events, the way in which people interact and what they do, totally unexpected to me. And I, I kind of loved the narrative. I loved the universe. And I immediately went and bought and read the second book. And there's a third uh, in a trilogy coming out this October. I uh, enjoyed it very much, actually. I think this is probably my second, right after Dervish House. If Dervish House was not nominated, I think this would probably be the one I would think should get the Hugo. Uh, it was unlike any fantasy book I think I've ever read. Um, very enjoyable, well written. Uh, I like the interaction with the gods. Uh, I like the 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 idea that uh, they their city sky that hovers, I guess, above the the kingdom or something, and this whole family lives there. And you have to be a part of the family to live there because if you're not, you can't get this little symbol uh, on your like implanted on your head that protects you from the 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 captured gods that roam the hallways so that they can they'll just they'll kill just you. kill you <laughs> because they're angry <laughs> they're and they're sort of you know like all gods are they're sort of um, capricious and so even though they're under the thumb if you say something like uh, get get me away from here they might send you to the bottom of the ocean. You have to be very precise. It's like genies. You have to be very Mm -hmm. precise what you ask, because if you ask for the imprecise, they are then still within the rule of the law, of this sort of law that's been laid down by this elder god. But you know what's funny about it is it sets it up. You start out, and you're like, well, this is sort of the usual thing. There's There's sort of a white light god, and then there's fallen dark demons and so forth. And really quickly, you're like, wait a minute, this is not anywhere near that simple. It's very complicated. And, you know, there's redemption and loss and hatred and whatever, but it's, um, and things happen that you can't imagine within the structure of the universe she created suddenly happen. She breaks it open, kind of cracks it open and reforms it. And it's, um, uh, I can't believe this is her first novel, isn't it? Yeah. Un- so. Unbelievable. Yeah. Just beautifully she, She's written. like a, She's like a job counselor. Oh, or something. She's a savant yeah. because in the second she's... one, she—I mean, the sequel thing—I think the second one actually, in some ways, is even is even better because you, the universe already exists and you're inside of it instead of her having to invent the universe. And it's not about the ruling class. I think right. the second one That's is right. my understanding. It's down on the ground. Whereas the first one is first one is the the rulers of this of this planet and uh, or whatever it is the, with all the kingdoms and it's a lot of kingdoms and, and the gods. 
They're, yeah, they're like a hundred thousand of them. What? But it, it's uh, yeah, I I love the god dynamic. The fact that the gods there were rules about how the gods they were they were mad, right? So mm-hmm. so they were going to be capricious. They had good reason to be. They'd been sort of bound and and tied down to earth, and now they have to follow the you know they created they or their parents created the universe, and yet they have to follow the rules, uh, the orders of the members of this family, and and then there's the white god who's up in heaven Mm -hmm. and he is you know not doesn't seem to be very nice right i mean he won the war basically that's what he's got going for him and and you know so this character comes on and there are the i i guess on one level you could view it as being very traditional it's outsider she doesn't seem like she's important turns out she's very important she learns all about it that's that same old story except the way it's told it just didn't feel like that to me. It felt much more like this was a a real voyage of discovery because you know it was it was not just about her. It was about the you know how the gods were trying to use her and how her family was trying to use her. And so even though all the trappings, it does have that sort of traditional structure. Just like it's it's fantasy, but it's not like any fantasy novel I've ever read either. It also has it's you know, the same structure as like Harry oh, Potter. It's not fake. Or, or Star Wars. Yeah. But it, but it doesn't feel like it because <laughs> there's so much originality to it that I never felt like, oh yeah, I see what she's doing here. And in fact, there are a couple twists in it that I was really surprised it, by. It's, it's like, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen to this character. It's like, oh, she represents something different than I thought. It's, it, there's a lot of cruelty in it, which I got to say is actually a uh, not appealing per se, but the fact that, you know, the worlds that are sort of, I mean, it's sort of a fantasy world meets like medieval times, you know, guild culture sort of things. And it's the fact that it's not sugarcoated. It's not people going, aha, I'm an evil person. I should do whatever. It's just, it's the casual contempt of the ruling class for the peasants and people are malformed and killed and no one, and the ruling class really cares because those people don't count. And I think there's some incredible, like verisimilitude (laughs) through that. Well, and the the utter corruption of the family yeah. that's been ruling this mm-hmm. land that they are they are so corrupt and just uh, depraved in so many different ways, and um, that's well well done. They're they're quite depraved. It is. It, they they are, but but they're not just like single note characters. They all have no. depth, and and so they have. Yeah. A, they you can kind of you understand they all have this underlying depravity, right? But they have other things that make them interesting. Yes. Well, who's your favorite character is my question of those of us who read the book. Who who is the standout character for you? Because I got one, but I'm curious of the other folks. I, I like the uh, the old dying leader dude. Oh, interesting. Okay. The was, grandfather who's yeah, running, running, who, the, running who's, the kingdom. You know, trying to run the kingdom at all. Comes crumbling. I think the most interesting character is her mother, who is never seen because she's already dead. Mm-hmm. But she, set, she sort of pl- has plotted out the entire thing. That's... Fascinating. I was I was going to say the um, the Loki like character, the the eternally young, the first. I think he's the first child of the gods, right? Isn't he the first? Yeah. And he and that is I think is a remarkably written character because she is able to simulate this. You know, it's it's like a Doctor Whoish sort of thing in some ways, like someone who is simultaneously infinitely old, billions of years old, and yet is absolute childlike in his nature. Right, he doesn't just look like a child. He thinks like yeah. a child because he wants to be a child. Right, and there's some bit where he like wants to call in the bed with her. He wants to comfort himself as if she is his mother. And there, spoilers yeah. there. There's mm-hmm. some this. Uh, oh. I won't even say. But but yeah. and she thinks is this a sexual thing? Is whatever? And then she takes him his arm. And realizes no, he is 
like a child, even though he's, you know, four billion years old or whatever. Right. And that kind of thing, like, there's so much, in so much of what you read that's fantasy and science fiction, there's so much binary stuff, black and white, um, lack of subtlety. And I just felt the book was so beautifully shaded throughout, even when there were some, you know, dopey things. And so the, the sister, the, uh, the, the sister who's an heir, or the, I guess, half sister, whatever, of the, uh, our primary character, um, or is she a sister? I don't even know. Anyway, cousin, cousin yeah. whatever she is. Yeah. She's, there's there's a, a set of siblings who are heirs to the throne, and this upstart is brought in as the third legitimate one. And the sister is painted in pretty broad strokes, but she's she's cool and capricious, but she's sort of Corella DeVille, and the brother is completely dissipated. They're sort of the weakest characters. They have to sort of fulfill a role. But even with that said, I mean, that's such a minor criticism of the overall uh, just gorgeousness of of it it's not overwritten either she writes beautifully without feeling like you're reading something that's supposed to be beautiful prose well the night lord the character of the night lord right i mean that that that, there's we've skipped right over him but it's such a great character he's in the daytime he's kind of suppressed by the light because the the sun the sun is the representative of the white god who's suppressing them but at night he's the black god he's the opposition but he's bound now he comes you know much more powerful at night and has all of these, you know, he's not he's not the devil, right? I mean, he's he he's dangerous and can do horrible things, but yet, you know, he's got his own perspective too, and it's just it, it's very very well done and very evocative, and 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 uh, you know, the attraction that the the protagonist feels for him is not just uh you know it's not like twilight where it's like oh vampire <laughs> boys i love you you're so shiny Sparkly. it's 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 um it's really interesting he and really sparkle. well done <laughs> he is yeah it's great you know i think there's that um that notion of that like that you know you want to be- you you're set up to expect this is additional light and dark and black and white and blah blah and then there's like oh there's a third god and well he's not fallen he was sort of captive and they had this great creative Thing. The universe was created through sort of the fights of the white and the dark gods and the creative forces, the third god, this woman who comes in a female force. She's like the mother of all living things. Yeah, she's basically. the green energy in the world and, and the create the procreative energy. And, um, and it's just it's uh, I don't think I can't say that I've ever read any fantasy or even mythology in which you have these roles occupied in this sort of distinct and interesting way it's a it's a very it's a great mythology someone could make a religion out of this it's true and i thought it was interesting that the so you know the third god wanted to create order and bring up about life and the other two gods were kind of like i don't think we really need that why we're having so much yeah. fun doing all this other stuff why should we bother yeah we don't want to create life life it's is no messy like, no i think we should have it i think we should have some life Messy, unpredictable. It's a uh, part of this universe is mine, and I'm going to create life, and you're going to have to cope with it. And I think it's interesting that uh, so the white god who is you know kind of distant uh, doesn't make an appearance until the the end of the book, and uh, but he influences everything. And uh, the main character through her journey finds out that this god that she's worshipped perhaps is not as uh, great as you know as pure as she <laughs> per- thought but yet she still has this this programming uh of loving him and she she finds it very difficult to go against him because of the, her whole culture and her the way she's been brought up and i thought that kind of tension was was done very well yeah, and there's no the Harry Potter ickiness of like, why do they have to say random weird words to get things to happen? It's like the universe is ordered and it makes sense within constraints that are don't have to be explained but don't seem stupid. <laughs> I'm sorry, I like Harry Potter, but I, the whole camp, Latinish incantation thing gets me. 
So big thumbs up for the hundred thousand yeah, kingdoms. Read it. Yeah, I'm very surprised. I, I, you know, I, I don't want to speak too much about it because obviously I did not. I read about half of it, and I, I will go back to it at some point and finish it. But I was not impressed with the first half of this book. The next fifty thousand are really good. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so right. no, tell, so tell us, Dan. I had forgotten that you, you, you like uh, like Glenn with the Dervish House are a partial. Reader. Yeah, I, I, I started it. Um, and. I don't know. Maybe I just read better fantasy than you guys earlier in my oh. life. Where, like, I oh, them's fighting words. I tended to read more stuff that you know. I guess was you know more complex because I didn't really find much of the stuff in here surprising or new or different to me. Interesting. It really it <laughs> felt. I don't know. I felt kind of cold to it. I didn't even the part where we sort of hit that and I hit that twist. You know, where the with the main character and sort of when you figure out her nature of her and I was like. Okay, you know, <laughs> like it didn't really, it didn't really shock or surprise me or make me revisit that character. Anyways, I feel like that's something I've, you know, that's, that seems like a device I've come across before. I, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's badly written. I think I agree that she's she has a very, you know, good command and she's setting out this world. I just felt very cold to it. It did not really evoke any any sort of response in me. And and I found the, the I mean, I understand the rationale for the romantic aspects of it, but it felt melodramatic to me it felt a little hmm. overplayed and overwrought and and you know maybe again i i will finish the book and i will you know perhaps that will change my impression of it but just speaking from having read the first half i just i mean i put it down to read uh because i had to read something i think i oh, because i got embassy town i was like oh i was really interested in reading this and then i and then i i had not felt any desire to go back to it well you know dan you should check out feed because i think you'll really like that <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> it's, you know, it's funny though. I've read quite a bit of fantasy, although I probably not. Uh, it sounds like you're more deeply read, but I, you know, I read when I was younger. I read a ton of fantasy, and I always felt, um, and I've read much less of it as I've gotten older, turned more to sci-fi. But I always felt there was, um, even in the best fantasy, I felt there was sort of some. A lot of shallow thinking, and the universe was created yeah. in order to make put magic in it, as opposed to a universe that was created from principles in which people function, and the magic is sort of the the structure of it. You know, it's like, oh, I've got this idea for how we structure a universe. It's like, no, there's a story that should come first. And I felt here the narrative was very strong, and the universe sort of was built around it, um, and and consistently influenced uh, the nature of the story. No. I was really skeptical going into it. I was like, really, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just even when I started reading it, and it said that it was part of a series, and I thought, really, there's more of these, and it's sort of fantasy, and you know, and within like three chapters, I was, I was like, all right, this is, this is good stuff. This is, I was, I, I was bought in, yeah, and I, I, I came at it a similar way because I just, I have this prejudice against fantasy. I guess after reading so much bad fantasy, mm. and I just assumed that this would just be bad fantasy but it was short so i would read it and uh i'm glad i did because it was really good yeah i recommend book two too it's a uh, book two is a very different story it's sort of smaller story and you get more of the you get more stories about people but there's a big you know universe destroying business in it as well as there has to be in these kinds of stories um but it's yeah. uh it's um quite different and quite interesting as well i like the protagonist's uh blind woman is quite lovely all right my ballot, by the way, and this will come as no surprise, given if you've listened to this, is the Dervish House, followed by the Hundred Thousand Kingdoms, followed by no award. <laughs> I, I feel that I feel that the other three nominees here really, really don't deserve an award. So Cryoburn would have been next, then Blackout All Clear, and of course, last would be feed last. But I really only think Dervish and Hundred Thousand Kingdoms are the only ones even worthy of winning. An award. Yeah, those are those. Are, I think I, I haven't read uh, Connie Willis and the uh, the other one, but I they're good. 
Um, there were also a number of fine additional shorter pieces of fiction rec- uh, uh, nominated for the Hugo Awards this year. Yeah, let's let's mention a couple of standouts really quickly um, before before we we uh, conclude the Hugo portion of our program. Glenn, I never read anything by Rachel Swirsky before. I think she's written a fair amount. Is that right? The uh, woman who wrote, yeah, yeah, the lady who plucked red flowers beneath the Queen's window. Fantastic! That got my vote for best yeah, novella. It's um, it's uh, also fantasy. Yeah, and, essentially, and, a very complicated and stunning realization of like, and you could read it online for free. Yeah, it's a, well, a lot of it too. It's like you know, it's a world again, world with magic, and um, but the passage of enormous scope of time and a woman who's a magician or witch, sort of um, you know, put into a form where she can be called up at will by people with the right incantation and comes into different cultures past civilizations rise and fall there are um you know sort of a new civilization rises in which they want her help to change things and she refuses because they're not women and it's only women's magic and it's just a crazy amount of detail in it and and marvelous it's like uh even though it's fantasy it, it, it's a story about immortality yeah in the truest sense which is Immortality doesn't mean, yay, I get to li- live my life that I have now forever. It means that, like, in 10,000 years, when you can't recognize anything about civilization or anything, you're still there. <laughs> and that's what happens with this character. She keeps getting resummoned. Um, and, you know, it's sort of fascinating because she's like, whatever happened to the hill people? And they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Anyway, we have a question for you. <laughs> and she's, you know, and this is all she all she can do is get these glimpses of these various cultures as she sort of fast forwards through, you know, through basically many fantasy novels that are happening. <laughs> and you get a little fraction of it while she's there and, and off she's off to the next thing. You have any others that you read that you thought were particularly interesting? Well, I I really like Ted Chiang, uh, Chang, who we talked about in a different podcast. Um, Life cycle of software objects, I'd say we talked about that. Then is uh, it's a it's a good story, but it feels more like a rumination instead of a short story or a novella. Rather, it's long. Not his best. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, I I enjoyed reading it, but I didn't get that sense when, of completion when I was like, oh, this was a great story with fully realized characters, and it, it was more like what a bunch of interesting ideas. How fascinating. A lot of these nominees are online, and we'll post a link in our show notes on theincomparable.com so you can go and find some of the Hugo-nominated um, stories because they, they did put a lot of them up as PDFs or just on web pages, and so you can get a chance to, to read them. Um, the ones that stood out for me, other than The Lady Who Plucked Red Flowers Beneath the Queen's Window, which is a really great story, uh, there's a story called Troika by Alistair Reynolds, which is um, – Scott's got an Alistair Reynolds book on his on his bookshelf or on his desk right there. On my desk right now, Terminal World. Wow. So I'd never read anything by Alistair Reynolds, I think, except maybe an occasional short story. Troika's really good. It's um it's this strange story about Russians Russian cosmonauts in a reformed Soviet Union who get sent to this um weird uh object that has been located in, in orbit that is artificial in nature. And but it's sold, told from the perspective of the only one of them who is still alive, and he's in a, a mental institution, and he is in Siberia, and he escapes <laughs> to try and find somebody. It's it's crazy, and it's good. It's really good. Um, I also liked uh, one of the novelette nominees, uh, Plus or Minus, by James Patrick Kelly, which is about um, people on a spaceship, this crew on a spaceship. And um, there, there's a an accident. It's very much like cold equations kind of story. There's an accident, and they have to figure out um, 
what they're going to do to survive while they're on this spaceship so that they don't run out of oxygen and, and, and suffocate that I thought was pretty good. And, um, and a story called eight miles by Sean McMullen, which is basically about a guy who's a, a balloonist in, in, I think the 19th century. And, um, he, I'm interested. He's commissioned to take the balloon eight miles up, which is above the breathability area for people. And and the reason is that there's this creature who looks like a human being, but um, was found at a high elevation. And the the guy who found her think has a theory that if they take her up to eight miles high, um, she will be able to. Um, communicate because she will be no longer be drunken by the thick atmosphere of earth's surface and it's and it's really cool it's a it's a great idea and and it is you know it's very retro it's very you know what 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 would it be like if there were people who lived on mars where the air is thinner than it is on earth and um the uh short stories i like there was one carrie vaughn had a short story called amaryllis which is kind of interesting about people on a ship in the future where there's resource constraints and they want to have a baby um and and a story by peter watts called the things which i really <laughs> liked which is the story of the movie the thing where there's they're in antarctica and there's this alien thing and it takes over people's bodies and stuff like that um the you know very well-known movie this is a short story about that same thing basically from the perspective of the alien and it's really quite good so um those are my there's a story uh uh, grendel you know which is beowulf told from grendel's point of view classic high school reading material for english classes so the bonus that we didn't get to here is that we want to talk about china meville's book embassy town which there are some very strong opinions on this among our panel i know but we're gonna have to save it (gasps) For a future podcast. So, dear listener, um, if you – some of us enjoyed Embassy Town and think you should read it and then t- and then tune into our podcast where we talk about it. Dan Morin, however, suggests that you don't read <laughs> he, it. He suggests you buy a copy and burn it. He, I would never – okay. My parents are librarians. I would never advocate burning books except for this. return it no, to the uh, library. Just, yes. Yes. Donate it. <laughs> anyway, it uh, – until next time when we will discuss why Dan Warren hates Embassy Town and all other things that are good. I feel so bad now. <laughs> no, I feel bad that you hated it because it's really long. <laughs> it's not so much long as it's dense. He's going to come and beat oh, you man. up. You know? It's not so long. China Meville is a scary looking dude. He's a bruiser, he man. Is. Watch out. He could take you out. You're scrawny. It's fun being in the book club, but now we have to go. So until next time, dear listeners, I am Jason Snell, and I would like to bid farewell for Glenn Fleischman. Thank you for being here, Glenn. Thank you so much. Dan Morin, thank you. Thanks, Jason. (laughs) And Scott McNulty, thank you. Jason, you have won the Hugo of my heart. (gasps) Uh, And and Scott, you can't see it, but I'm giving you a big hug right Uh, now. I feel touched. Right. The Hug Awards. The Huggos. Yes. And on that note, farewell, everybody. Um, and hope you read some of these books and like them. Not feed. <laughs> but don't read feed. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't do it. Until next time, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.